Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Thank you all for staying. You may be seated. In today's extra credit, we'll be going over some more of the basics, some more of the more niche things about the basics of jamming. We had mentioned a few things that we'd be going over here in the extra credit. We had mentioned table etiquette and philosophies for role playing, which aren't like things we can say are objectively correct. But we just have some things that give an example of etiquette that our table, my table follows and role-playing philosophies I have. And stuff that, just if you're a first-time GM, might be a good tip to know. Stuff that I wish I knew or had thought about when I first sat down to GM. So I think it's really important for every table to have, you know, some sort of guidelines for etiquette to follow to make sure everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. And this can be just to foster uh, a good role playing with everybody else. Or if you just have pet peeves that you know are going to just ruin something. Like, listen, we're, we all have personal things that really bother us. And it's no one's fault if it's not like an objectively bad thing. But if it really annoys you and you're the GM, if you're annoyed, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> no summoners, please. <laughs> and part of my etiquette is that there's no summoners. So to give an example, I have a little... Like, they summon pigs and they're walking all over the <laughs> table. It's very bothersome. Just to give an example, I have just one little page with a couple key points that I send to my players that are going to join my table. Let's say, you know, these are the etiquettes that we're going to follow. So everyone's on the same page. This is a baseline for everyone to be at. First, everyone gives me 20 bucks. I like that one. (laughs) That's a good etiquette. Where's my 20 bucks, Caleb? (laughs) Because, you know, we're spending at least four hours. My sessions are usually four hours. I'm saying like, guys, this is four hours every week. We're all adults. I have to put this time aside. So let's all make sure we're all on the same page. Adults. (laughs) Adults. <laughs> Quote unquote adults now. <laughs> Let me put on my elf ears. Right. <laughs> you have a functioning glowing hobbit sword. <laughs> so key point number one is communication. It's always key point number one. It's always going to be key point like number one. Like in any good relationship. Exactly. You gotta have good communication. With good relationship with anyone in your life. I tell my players, just just talk to me. Please just talk to me about anything on the table, out the table. If you're having a problem, please just talk to me, the GM, about it. It's my job to make sure everyone's having fun and, like, I'm not a mind reader. I'm not particularly socially intelligent. I'm not going to (laughs) notice if you're not having fun. Like, if you're like, oh, I'm just going to be, like, uninterested and sarcastic and be like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. He'll get it. He'll get it. I'm not going to get it. I'll be like, oh, okay. (laughs) So please just talk to me. Communications number one. Number two is the other thing that is really important is attendance. Oh, I want to say some more communication. Okay. Uh, you mind? Is that okay? Can I communicate no. to you, Christian? <laughs> see, look, bad communication. We should have talked about it. I'm leaving it as a good illustration. Uh, see, and he just said it. He could have been, you know, really mean and <laughs> condescending for the rest of the episode. Just let me right, right. go on to the next thing. But um, when it comes to communication, a lot of this about me is more communication outside of the table. I just need you guys to let me know what's happening. If we're going to cancel, let me know more than an hour beforehand. I understand, obviously, if something comes up. But a lot of times I've had things canceled over stuff that was foreseeable. And it just it annoys me a lot when I have to change up plans last minute because I've made plans. Especially if I had to, back in the day when I had to carve out an eight-hour block in my life. Let me know ahead of time, please. Uh, and then on the table, when it came to communication, actually, the big thing uh, was that... I need you like my players. When it's your turn, I need you to un- to do your thing. If you have a question about your spell, you can ask it to me. A lot of times people just use spells, and then I'm like, that's not how that works. Uh, but the biggest thing really when it came to communication was actually distinguishing between players talking and characters talking. And something I did that you guys could try, I only had to do it for one week or uh, one session, and then it worked out well, was I said, if you're talking out of your character, 
raise your hand. Very simple. You don't have to raise it up in the air like a dork. I mean, it's very simple. Just raise your hand a little bit. And then it's like, okay, I know that David's talking and not his character Hanzo. And after, we didn't even do it for the whole session. Like, we got the idea and we started getting a feeling of how to distinguish who's talking and what character. I don't think I ever had to do it again. It worked uh, very well. I, I really like that, actually. We tend to have problems with that at my table. I wouldn't say problems. We all like to joke around and make Right, so you never know if the guy's antagonizing the guy yeah. or if you're just making jokes. Especially when it's like references to the our world stuff. Like, oh, that's like the thing with this thing. <laughs> oh, you didn't really say that. No, I did. <laughs> I want to see how they respond. My, you guys have gotten a point in Trailblazers that <laughs> David literally like makes jokes. And he said at one point, he goes, by the way, I make these jokes in campaign. I laugh to myself knowing that nobody else will get them. He's like, there's a cat folk and he's like, hi, Garfield. And he starts laughing to himself and everybody's like looking at him. He's just like, never mind, you'll get it. More on the subject of what Caleb was talking about just a second ago is uh, attendance. That's my actually my second keynote for my table etiquette. I do not take attendance lightly. If you're go, we're all adults. We are all we're usually adults. You said that a lot. I feel like it's more like less than a fact and more like you're trying to convince us. Please be an adult. (laughs) (laughs) But like we should be able to maintain a schedule in our adult lives. And even if you're not an adult, I don't mean to condescend to people. Wow, great Christian. We just lost fifty subscribers. (laughs) Wow. Hey, hey, I love all of you, no matter what age you are. We're all mature people that should be able to maintain a schedule. Uh, four hours a day. It's a lot of time for everyone to put aside. We could be doing other things. And if you cancel last minute, I'm going to be upset. Right. And if you do it a lot, like I've told people before, like they've suddenly missed ca- sessions. And I was like, look, if you miss another one for really any reason that's not serious, you're out of the campaign. And it was perhaps someone very integral to the campaign. It was probably the most important character in the campaign. But like three sessions in a row, they're like, oh, my friends came over. Listen, after oh. three tardies, you get an in-school suspension. It's just the rules. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't traditionally taken in that strong of a stance on attendance because we would play for eight hours and because we had five different people's schedules to to mess with i was a little more lenient like i was saying earlier and like you were just saying it's more the last minute stuff that bothers me and that's where i might have taken action but i didn't have enough people um constantly doing last minute it wasn't a pattern with anybody but with five people if five people do last minute once it's five sessions meeting once a week it's a month and a a week of not playing right right so it can be tough you got to keep in mind that we are adults and we have a lot of things to do i doubt it (laughs) not me all i do is pathfinder that's what i do So my third little keynote on my table etiquette is interactions between player character versus player character. And basically the rule boils down to role play with each other. Don't roll dice against each other. I don't like PvP in my campaigns. I don't think player characters should really ever be rolling dice against each other. If it comes down to it, like a sense motive or bluff check, that's okay. But like, I don't want people rolling intimidate against each other. I don't want people rolling attack rolls against each other. I want you to prefer to role play it and be reasonable about it. Because I just find PvP completely uninteresting. And it usually just leaves both parties upset after PvP. Right. And this kind of bleeds into our House Rules episode, which is coming out in a couple weeks. Um, and and this, this is actually something that I don't uh, follow Christian on. I let my players... Uh, and uh, attack each other or roll dice against each other there are some skills which i kind of kind of house rule off like if you're gonna bluff somebody as long as the person doesn't actually know that it's a lie you just lie to them and see if they believe you if their character would know that you're lying i force the bluff check because how can you 
role play that you don't know something, right? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I'll make them roll that or like a sense motive and things like that. But I do tell my players, if you're going to roll a sense motive at whatever feeling that you as a player are getting, you got to give that up. You got to you gotta give in to whatever the result of the die is. So do you want to just go off of what you feel whether or not he's lying or do you want to roll a sense motive? You can't have it both ways. Uh, but when it comes to attacking each other, um, I kind of avoid that because I don't have a lot of evil players in my campaign. Mm. I don't, if there's evil players, I'd like everybody to be evil instead of just one person. And that's and right there's the problem with evil because evil doesn't mean you attack your friends. Right, 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 right. Uh, but it means that you'll do things that your friends will often disagree with, and that'll create a lot of conflict uh, with 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 characters. Uh, so, but I'll let them if something happens, and then you attack each other, whatever. I'll I'll do it. It's just it's something I got to keep a careful eye on because I got to make sure that it's staying within characters and players aren't getting upset at each other. And when you lose a character, we're going to talk about a whole episode on character death. It's a it's a very moving and important thing when you lose a character. And if you lose a character because of another player, there could be that combativeness between the of the, the players themselves. So that's something I just got to keep an eye on. But aside from that, I let my players roll up against each other. So my last note on my table etiquette is my deal with electronic devices at the playing table. I'm pretty lenient on this because I myself use Hero Lab when I play. And I know a couple of my players also do use either electronic versions of character sheets or Hero Lab itself or something along those lines. So having like laptops or tablets or even phones out at my table isn't uncommon. But if I do give myself executive rights to remove a device from a table. I hereby reserve the right to refuse service to anyone at any given time for any reason. <laughs> exactly. I, I will remove the device from the table and put it into some kind of shame box or shame corner or shame anything and make you feel shame for... Cone of shame. It, if it is becoming a problem, if you're playing a game, if I look, if I walk around the table and see you're playing a game, or if you're looking at your screen laughing like <laughs> while we're doing something in character, I'm gonna be like, nope, close the laptop. That's right. that's it. Executive privilege activated. Right. Um. I we just did an episode with Cal Ferguson from A Move TV, and he talked about how he before the session even starts takes out a basket. Everybody put your phones in here, and that's what he does. And that's certainly something can be done. I think the GM book talks about that right off the bat doing that mm-hmm. since. I ran, I'll talk about two things, where I am now and where I was. Where I was running the eight-hour sessions, because it's eight hours, I let people have whatever device they wanted. Even if they didn't have Hero Lab and they had a laptop, that was fine with me. Long as, like you were saying, it doesn't become a problem. Almost when I get to your turn, you're doing something, you're active, actively in the story, I'm cool. Literally, you could be playing another game, and long as it's not a problem. But, you know, at first I was very upset at that. When I saw another guy playing a game, I was like, what are you, are you playing Bioshock? Get that off of here. Right? Yes, he was. Hector, you hear me. Hector or David, one of you two. Um, I was a little upset. But in Trailblazers, the four-hour sessions, kind of three and four-hour sessions, Word, who played Sergio, he would play like Mortal Kombat and stuff on his console next to his computer where we were Skyping and doing the thing. And it, only like once or twice, I'm like, word, whatever. When it became that, I addressed it to him. I said, hey, listen, yeah, you can do what you want there. But long as when it's your turn, you're still playing and doing stuff. And it, he just, of his own will, because I said that, he stopped playing it. But for the beginning of him playing Mortal Kombat, what he was playing, it wasn't a problem. So long as it's not a problem. But video games is like that that draw on the line. That's, that's a line there. You're right over it, right behind it. It's a close one. But generally, yeah, I'm with you. Like, don't play another game. Let's focus on this. But it's eight hours. I'm not going to take people's phones away, especially because they do more than just let you be distracted. Right. Right. Uh, like, people kind of need their phones. Like, we've right. tried that before, the basket thing, and we did, like, one or two sessions, and we kind of stopped because people would constantly have to check their phones or something, like, their rides were calling right. them, or they right. had to check up on someone at home, right. or something like that. Or food, whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
so I'll, I'll let my players, since I have eight hours, um, have devices, distract themselves. I don't expect anyone to pay attention to one thing for eight hours. Freaking, whenever I do anything in my life, I do two things. If I'm playing a game, I'm also watching a video on my other screen, right? If I'm working, I'm listening to my iPod, listening to podcasts. I hate doing just one thing. I love church, but I can't stand that it's only one thing. If I could listen to the sermon and then just do something else, I would be like, oh my gosh, it'd be so much easier, right? I have to do two things. So I can understand that you don't want to sit down and do one thing for eight hours. So I'm actually rather lean on the rule. But like I said, long as it doesn't interrupt. If you're missing things, if I see you haven't been playing for the last hour, it, the role-playing game, I might say something. But I don't think I've ever had to take anyone's like stuff away. People usually respond with just, hey, let's play, whatever. Yeah. I may have gotten, because just because of the sheer amount of time I've put in GMing, I may have gotten angry once or twice, but I can't remember any time I actively got mad about people being distracted. So that's my that's my entire thing. And again, not saying that you have to follow this to a T. This is just an example of when I start a session with a group of people, I send them this and say, hey, let's make sure we're on the same page. Communication, attendance, player character, player character interaction, and electronic devices. You know, in that last one, we were talking about like, you know, in my session, spending eight hours or even four hour session, you want to take a break and whatever. A lot of the big things that come up is food at the table and taking a break for food and how you can handle that. In my eight-hour campaign, we just had, like, in the middle of it, we took a break for lunch or dinner whenever we were meeting. I think we started at, like, one. So we took a break for dinner. I lived in the city, so we would just go down to the sub shop or to the Chinese place or whatever, and we'd all just get food. And so probably for the eight hours, we only played for seven because we took, like, about an hour break Mm -hmm. where we just relaxed. And also helped kind of in the middle of it rejuvenate everybody's attention span and all that. What's that saying? You can only pay attention for something for four hours, even if you like it. Until your mind starts going, I forget what this. I never heard is. that one. Listen, you gotta listen to more TEDx talks. Um, <laughs> but regardless, <laughs> up in the Hollywood Hills, <laughs> it helps refresh everybody. I found, and you know, obviously you're hungry and eating, and so. But eating at the table, each person's different. I allow it. I'm super cool with people eating at the table, uh, as long as we have a big enough table. Matter of fact, the table I used to use was a, a small dining room table, even with the extra leaves in. It was just too small. So like we were like having things in the corner on top of our laptop. It was bad. Some people, some people lost some laptops that day. Some good people lost some good laptops. <laughs> Uh, but I'm super cool with it. But some people aren't. Some people, you know, it depends on where you are. Uh, the place, the one I play, uh, where I'm not a GM, I'm just a player. Uh, it's with a group of three guys, uh, all older. The guy owns his house. It's like a super clean house. All this food is in the kitchen. And you can take like a plate into the room, right? Everybody has their own different rules. And that's, I think, that's not set by the GM so much as that's set by the, the person. Ha- yeah, the host. Yeah, let's talk about, let's define the host. The host is the person whose house you're meeting at. Yeah. Um, or the parasitic organisms, whoever it's attached to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and all of us are the parasitic organisms. Oh, no, no. It's a mimic. Ah! <laughs> Uh, that person kind of has, it's almost like a, a little of a balance of power between the GM and the host. I might say balance of power. I'm not trying to be like, I must have all the power and all the influence in the world. I just mean there's some considerations where when it comes down to it, one person has the right to make a ruling. And the host is, on, I think, a lot in the food ruling. Right. Everything generally is a vote, but somebody's in the end the decision maker. Uh, so I think with food, it's generally the host. Definitely, yeah. Because, you know, like you said, if someone's you're meeting at someone's house and there's a vacuum, they might be like, don't bring food to the table tonight, guys, yeah. please. Or just don't bring food to my table. We can right. eat it in another room, something like that. What if you, like, we meet in, in my basement and this floor is just a terrible floor. So I don't care what happens to it. <laughs> if we're meeting in my living room, that's an, almost a new carpet. I don't want anyone bringing soda in there because I don't want it to get destroyed, right? So, yeah, it depends where you're meeting to in the, in the house. Some people don't meet the same place every time they play. So that's something that might be variable depending on if and when you meet where. 
on trailblazers, I actually, it hasn't even been a rule. I think it just kind of everyone knows that we don't eat at all because we're using microphones. <laughs> it sounds real bad when you eat in a microphone, right? Occasionally, somebody might have a snack, but they know to mute themselves. That's another consideration. We got to think about playing online versus playing in reality. When you're playing ion, you got to keep it, your, that stuff in your mind. And I always have water with me because my mouth. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> because when you're talking, you need water. <laughs> I just wanted to give an example. <laughs> Good job, Chris. Now we all know what it sounds like to eat food. <laughs> on a microphone. And this is like a condenser mic that's away from my mouth. Yeah, let's give her the pop filter now. Oh, hang on. Look at another trip. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> all right, so what was the right room? <laughs> Roll initiative. Who's that, Cortana? <laughs> You make a perception check. Perception check. <laughs> All right, get away from my mic. Good stale chips. Leave them alone. No, stop eating. Uh, you're breaking a house rule. Kitchen, give us the face. I said, if you eat one more chip, you're out of the you're out out of the campaign. I don't think I'm eating three more chips. I don't care. No, you found you found the workaround. You figured it out. You found the loophole, Christian. The delicious loophole. <laughs> I want to talk about some of the power we, that the person who has the house has. We already talked about he chooses whether or not we're eating while we're playing. What other kind of things is the is the guy who owns the house, the host, responsible for or has the authority over? Uh, noise levels, uh, interrupting neighbors and stuff like that. Like oh, yeah, if, if you have a kids. very loud campaign yeah. up but, where you park can be important depending on where you live. Yeah, where you meet at, who the host is, can can range from whatever reason. It could be just because they have the bigger house or they have a bigger area in their house. Or it could be, I can't play because I have kids and I have to look after the kids. But if we can meet at my house, I can play. And that's where you had the rules. Guys, you got to be quiet. Always going to wake the baby up or whatever like that. Personally, I've I've every campaign I've hosted except for a one one-shot I did was at my house. It, it's just nice to not have to fight over anything. Uh, if I had to make a decision, it was my house. That kind of sounds totalitarian. Let me give an example so I don't sound like a monster. Uh, for example, I just wanted to avoid this scenario. Well, we're meeting at my house, so either we do it this way or you guys can't meet here. What? Like, that's ridiculous. That can happen. Listen, sometimes you get heated. You say, have you ever said something you didn't mean? Uh, happened to me. I've done it before. Uh, I think we all have. And sometimes things get heated and things get out of hand. And if you have it like that guy saying, this is my house, you can't meet. The GM's like, well, if we don't do it this way, I'm not GMing. Like, oh, no, we have all these problems. If it's your house, it's a little, you can avoid the person just nixing everyone's fun because they're upset. Have you ever had a problem like that? No, we don't get angry. <laughs> you usually meet at your house? Uh, well, I, we started playing at my college at the like gaming club group. Oh, that's so good. That's we good. typically actually met at the college, which had meeting rooms we could use or tables and an upstairs lounge area we could use where it was quiet and we didn't really have to worry about, you know, who's the host, what we do with the furniture when we're done. Of course, we would treat it nicely. It's not like we would you not treat animals. Yeah. yeah. But it's really nice having like that third party. No one owns the house to meet. Right. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even think about that one. <laughs> but that comes with the... uh price to pay that people walk by and like hey i want to talk to you even though you're obviously doing something right. like this is the perfect time for me to talk about that project and sit down and oh what are all these dice and paper and pencils why are you all talking and doing other things i'm here now sit down so shrimp play you go with you <laughs> magic the gathering's big yeah and and so about food we just mentioned also breaks 
What do you do for breaks? For Trailblazers, it's only four hours, so I actually have no break. We have limited time, four hours, so I get the recording. We don't we don't have a break. It's pretty variable, mostly because we forget most of the time. <laughs> but typically, I run like three to four hour sessions, depending on like how much gets done or where they end up stopping for the night. So like halfway through, we tend to take a five to 10 minute break. And again, that's variable. If people need more time to do something or we've gotten a lot done and we need a specific break for something, then that might extend to 20 minutes. Right. It sometimes just happens naturally, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like three people are like, oh, I got to use the bathroom. Right. You're like, okay, we'll just take a break right now then. Yeah. Or if one guy last session, it actually happened kind of at the end of the session. I don't know if it counts as a break, but people were buying stuff. I bought all I needed to do. So I was just talking to the person next to me who had nothing else to do either. It was like a little break for us because we didn't care about what people were buying. Mm. We'll get the summary afterwards. <laughs> I think breaks are important because like you said, it's hard to concentrate on one thing for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, at my table, actually, I, I encourage and I supply some props. Not a lot. Like I have a old flint and lock looking pistol that I just give to my gunslinger. It's just cool to have it. Like you don't do a whole lot of acting, but actually, you know, I should I should kind of modify that. I actually do some acting if it's an important event or something. If they're interrogating somebody, I'll put I love acting myself. So I'll play that person. I'll put my hands behind my back, pretend I'm being interrogated and, and let people act in character. I have like little things that look like vials. If I'll give a player a potion, I'll give them a vial. I have a sack of money. If somebody gets paid, I throw down the sack of money. It's not a whole lot of acting and stuff, but I just find it kind of adds to the ambiance a little bit. I find props really important just because players don't forget props. They'll forget that item you told them about like two sessions ago and you're like, this is the really important gem. Put it down your character sheet. And when it comes down to it, they're like, what was that thing? <laughs> Did you write down your character sheet? No, I don't. Um, we found it when we uh, we killed that guy. It's a, it's a piece of glass, right? <laughs> But if you actually hand them like a physical little glass gem like thing, they'll be like, oh, that thing. Yeah, definitely. It's right here. Right, right. My player was a ninja. He had a sword, a little katana that I got like a Comic-Con or something. He liked to use that. Just kind of held it as we played. Didn't even like really do anything with it. Oh, you know, and props can always be really cool. We're playing a game with you, Christian, where you have these tarot cards that are very integral to the campaign. It's cool to physically have them and look at them and, and use them. Especially because they um they reflect the world you guys are in at the moment a bit, so like everyone can look at them and they they actually have a mechanical use. Right. So split up the haro cards, give some to everyone, and say here that this is your set of cards you're responsible for this session. What's the difference between harrow and tarot? Cards? They're they're the same thing. Oh, just harrow is the technical name in Pathfinder. Well, <laughs> we can't have that T. Get rid of that T. One time, one of my DMs said, like, it was the first session we had ever met for a campaign. And he's like, if you bring a prop for your character and wear it or wield it, you will get, like, a hero point or something. <laughs> and I was playing like a wizard, so I showed up in a cloak. You should have, like, that hat with the stars and the moon. <laughs> I'd like to, in my campaign... I didn't have one. I need I, one. I always like to throw in one wizard who has that hat. I think this one, and it's going to happen way late in Trailblazers. They go to a, a shop of a guy who just sells magical rings. And the I, old guy, long white beard, had the hat. It was perfect. Do you have one to wear when they meet him? No, I need to get one. I need to. Where do you get those? Internet. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) Amazon, maybe. Probably. Props are really like what you mentioned with acting. And I find along with props, just tiny things for when you play as a GM, as you play as certain NPCs, just small personality changes or small props. Like you put in a fake earring or you put on a necklace when you play someone who's rich and fancy. Small things like that really signify to the players the type of character you're playing as an npc and just like another person who has your voice (laughs) right you can you can go online and watch acquisitions incorporated packs type that in you'll find it a bunch of 
put on by Wizards of the Coast sponsored sessions and watch the GM. He's always in costume. The players are always in costume. It's just kind of a fun thing. And something else he has, as you'll see on the board, he'll have a model or something for the board and miniatures. Some people are really, really into miniatures. The people I play with in my campaign where I'm just a player, uh, where I'm playing a um, kineticist, which is awesome, by the way. I'm a blood kineticist, and it's awesome. I love it. Uh, Bloodbending. Ah, Korra. They love miniatures. Like, I've always been played with little cardboard pieces that have Mm -hmm. pictures of crap, but the pictures are irrelevant. I got it from 4.0 beginner box. It's just the numbers. I'm like, okay, monster number one. Makes it really easy to keep track of everything. And that's all we we have in our imagination what everything looks like. Not them. They will not put a a piece down on the board unless it looks just like their character. He has like six or seven glass shelves. They're a little bit shorter than I am, just full of miniatures. They're really into miniatures. And if they're going to play a character, it's going to look represented physically on the board. That's cool. That's something I like to do very much. Like I have a couple pieces from a, a Monopoly Lord of the Rings where I'm like, <laughs> is anyone, is anyone a fighter here? Use this dwarf guy. Is anyone a ranger here? Use this elven person. Is anyone a halfling? I got a, I got a hobbit. <laughs> I, mean, I find as long, personally, I think as long as they're close enough. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what's something that somewhat looks like the character, but it's not like, oh, he needs a satchel on his left belt hook, and he right. needs a bandolier, and right. on the back needs to be his loot, right. but it needs to be horizontal, not vertical. No, they'll they'll take pieces off, customize them, paint them to make them just look just like the way they want to. And I, I, I really like that, because sometimes, you know, people describe their characters, and no one remembers. They're like, who are you again? <laughs> I'll tell you one time where it did work out, as I, I did just a one-off for them, GM for him just because we had an off week and I said let me do it and they encountered a red dragon and it was really cool to use a big red dragon miniature normally what I have to do for big things is I'll find a picture online and then I'll resize it to the right amount of space it takes up and print out the image Mm -hmm. but it was cool having a red dragon that was really neat you had like a real live red dragon real live red (laughs) dragon shut up Christian a miniature (laughs) it's like hey guys (laughs) I'm gonna gonna probably be playing for you today He's a Cthulhu miniature. And by miniature, I mean a thing the size of my arm. <laughs> it's gross. They have it like the whole idea of like, you know, like if you die underwater, you get bloated and all that. Yeah. Like, it has like a big, he almost looks pregnant because it's like trying to mim- mimic that stuff. A real gross looking Cthulhu. <laughs> Wait, did, I thought Cthulhu was like, no one could see him. Do they have a physical representation of him? In the art? idea was that looking at him, it's so incomprehensible. You go insane. But he has a form to look at. Oh. But it's like a the way I've always described it is like it's a fourth dimensional object existing in a three dimensional world. It's just something you can't conceive of. But, yeah, you, but you're you can. seeing it. It just looks like a 3D object. That makes no sense. Uh, in... Um, in Pathfinder, the actual stats for Cthulhu has, like, he always has 50% dodge because he doesn't fully exist in our world. But if you use True Sight to see him, you get past that dodge, but you go insane. <laughs> you take some of the insanities. I've never done this. I don't think I've ever played with anybody that does do this. I think it's probably something that takes a lot of money. And that's why you only really see it on sponsored content. But the, the building of sets... Oh, right. Because you'd have to build a new set for every dungeon, encounter, or place, right? So you, you, you'd probably pick the ones, like, if I know we're doing five sessions in this encounter, I'll take the time to build it. You might do that. You might have the abilities to do that or the funds to do that. That's cool. I'd like to see that one time. I, I would enjoy being in that. But uh, generally, I just draw stuff. And when building sets, like, it's not like you have to have professional modeling, clay, paint it all up. You could just, like, find some old Legos and make something just so players have an idea of, like, the environment they're in or something like that. We talked about getting a play mat. I think we call it a square battle mat. Uh, it's where the, everything is five foot squares and you can draw stuff with a, with a white erase, uh, white erase, a white erase marker, <laughs> a dry erase marker or white erase marker. Uh, building maps is very important and you can just look up online how to draw a D&D map. There's a lot of cool 
uh, different ways you can do it to give you more than just a couple of lines. And once I did that, I saw a noticeable difference in my players enjoying the maps and the encounters, just spending more time drawing them. And there's stuff out there that is just like pre-built sections and you can rearrange them to make different dungeons and stuff. That's always something you can consider doing. There's like you're talking about you don't have to be a professional model. There's like little like wooden sets that you can arrange and build like Lincoln logs, kind of like Lincoln logs, but more cardboardy and flat. <laughs> so cheap Lincoln logs, Lincoln paper. off brand Lincoln, Lincoln paper, <laughs> Jefferson logs. <laughs> <laughs> Something else I want to talk about is this is kind of for your players. Hey, players, listen up. Your GM has to put in a lot of work, often almost exclusively more work than everyone else. It is just good manners to do something nice for the gym partway or at the end of your campaign. It could be as simple as getting a stupid gift card to some your, your local gaming shop or whatever. doesn't matter. Like for, for my group, the way they uh, thanked me was after we did the, you know, our eight-hour sessions for months and months and months and months, uh, you know, four times a, a month. We just took so much of our lives. All the books that we had bought together, they said, Caleb, you can keep. And oh. so those books were now mine so that when the group eventually breaks up like it did, I got to keep the books. They're still my friends that they want them. I let them borrow and all that stuff, but I own them. So that was very nice of them. You, there's, there's many ways you can uh, reward a GM. Just think of a nice thing. It's kind of like at the end of doing a play. If you ever did plays in high school, you give the person something nice. It's just a nice way to thank them. Food's a big one. I like food. <laughs> give me food. <laughs> give me, oh, what's this? A gift card to Red Lobster or Olive Garden? You know me too well. <laughs> and something this, I think, again, we'll cover in house rules. Uh, a lot of our stuff is kind of bleeding into the other episodes. But just everyone contribute in some way is something I personally uh, desire of my players. No matter what it is. If one person's giving a ride, the other person's letting us use their house, the other person's jamming, another person's bringing soda, the other guy's bringing chips, whatever. As long as everyone's not coming empty-handed, they're all doing something, uh, I just ask that of my players. It's I don't think it's right to make the guy who's hosting the house also have to do the food and GM unless he wants to. Right. The player, uh, I bring food to the campaign I do where I'm a player, and he always has a ton of food there already, and it's his house, and he's the GM. It's just what he wanted. He He's before, like, called to say, you guys want pizza, and he's on pizza it's what he's wanted to do and even though i continue to bring stuff he continues to buy food it's what he wants to do he's at a time in his life where he can afford that kind of stuff cool for him but i think often that's a little too much to ask a one guy if you're meeting it if the guy's gming that's enough for him to do and if a guy's giving rides to everybody that's enough for him to do or at least offer right yeah to do these things and if they say like no it's fine i got it then yeah, back off whatever fine just right. get him a little medal at the end of the campaign Something else you'll notice here is that there's, it does cost money to play this game. So it's talk to your players about how you want to distribute that cost. Are we all going to put in for the books like we did when I started playing Pathfinder for the first time ever in my group? We all split up the cost evenly. We bought the core rule book. We all gave in however much money so we could have the core rule book. Uh, when we bought, you know, play a uh, little figurine, not figurines, the, the cardboard pieces, we all split the cost. Very simple. And then if I wanted to get something that the rest of the group didn't want to get, I just bought it myself. And then it was mine. There's other ways you can do this. You can just, there's a, a pot where every time everybody brings $5, throw it into the pot. And then that's what we use to buy anything. We all agree. We need to buy a new book. Everybody, we're going to use money from this pot to do this. We all agree. Cool. Um, I, I started doing that. What I had is I had 
uh, because we bought all the books and we bought Hero Lab and spread it across everybody else, if somebody joined our campaign, uh, I charged everybody like $35. And so if you wanted to join, $35, and that helped pay for all the crap that we have, right? And it just got split among the group. And we stopped doing that pretty quick. Mm-hmm. A, because we don't have people joining every day. Like, you know, you get a couple people joining and then that stops. I mean, we thought like, uh, that's just rough. Just charging somebody $35 to play a game. Yeah. It feels rough. I don't know. I just never really liked the idea of handling other people's money. Right. I didn't like it. So we kind of stopped it. Uh, and, and that's where I kind of I kind of default to if we are going to buy something, if I can't just buy it because I want to own it. At the end of the day, I want to walk away and keep Beast Jerry 4. If it's something that I'm okay with us, me not keeping, I just say, hey, can we all chip in for this? That's the way I personally do it. But whatever way works for you. How do you handle cost? We play the frugal version of Pathfinder where... Uh we don't. I don't own a book. Right. I don't. I don't own any of the books. I use all the SRD stuff. I do occasionally buy some materials. For instance, uh, I didn't buy it, but I'm running Rise of the Ruin Lords, a Paizo adventure path. And one of my players had already had the book. He bought it, and I'm using it. It's his, but I'm using it to DM. So like that was kind of like his contribution. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to play in the campaign, but didn't really want to DM it. So he gave me the book, and now I'm DMing it. And of course, I'm gonna give him the book when we're done. When lunchtime comes up, generally everybody pays for their own food. But we used to start, what we did at the start was we just buy a big pizza and everybody would just chip in for the pizza. That's another thing uh, the jamming book talks about. Uh, another way you can kind of reward your player and you talk about you love food. It's just that if there's food bought, the GM doesn't pay for it. It gets distributed among the rest of the people. So we said that GMing was easy, but here we go talking like two and a half hours straight about just the basics. Right, right, right. Further on, you're going to hear us talk about a lot of stuff that we only touched on. The whole idea of 201 and the extra credit here was just to let you know some stuff so that if you first sat down, you could GM. Everything else is just going to make you a better GM, and it's going to expand the stuff we talked about. Uh, the next one we're doing is player types and conflict, how to kind of deal with conflict from your players, how to have an idea of what kind of players are going to be, their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, character death is going to be another big one. House rules, making good encounters. We're going to talk about how to reward your players, how to deal with romance, online versus in real life, pre-mates versus homebrew campaigns, storytelling tips, all the stuff will be covered in. If all of those is a spot maybe that you're weak on or you want to learn more about, you can just listen to that one and learn more about that aspect of GMing. But hopefully you just got a big broad thing here and can sit down and GM for the first time. I, I sat down and GM with less than that. I had a starter edition of fourth edition, sat down, read the book, and just tried to play. And we had some pitfalls, and hopefully you can you can skip some of those hearing from us. Thank you all for staying after class for extra credit. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. Visit our site for other great Pathfinder podcasts. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening.